We're here in Ethiopia, a country that was influenced by the life and teaching of Jesus in the very earliest years, in the first century. In Acts chapter 8, we know that Philip was told by the Spirit to go down to a lonely desert road. He met an Ethiopian public servant coming home. They had an interaction. The public servant was baptized and then brought his new faith back here to his home country. It's just one example in the earliest of years about how the message of Jesus was being spread across the earth. But what was it about Jesus that created a global missionary movement? Well, here's just a couple of thoughts. First, the validity of his own life. There were eyewitnesses that wrote down what they saw and heard. Secondly, Jesus saw himself not as a, a, a spiritual teacher or a religious leader. Jesus saw himself as God's son on earth. His death on a Roman cross, but then his resurrection proved the truth of that statement. And that resurrection was witnessed by hundreds of people, some of whom paid for their belief in defense of Jesus with their lives. Thirdly, Jesus sent his followers. At the end of Matthew's gospel, the last thing that Jesus says to his followers is to go into the world and as you go, to spread the message of the life and teaching of Jesus. He sends his followers to be missionaries. And fourthly and importantly, the power of the Spirit of God Philip was moved to go to that desert road by the Spirit of God. The first disciples went from a scared group in an upper room to a group powerfully taking the message across the world. And here in Africa, every day, the power of the Spirit of God is growing the church. You know, Christianity in the face of persecution and opposition has actually taken this message to the ends of the earth. As people have talked about the life and teaching of Jesus. It's become a global game changer. A global game changer indeed. In fact, represented in the audience tonight, I'm sure are people from all over the world who have been impacted in some way by this message of Jesus. People from Africa, Asia, Europe, the Americas, and even the ends of the earth, Australia. Last week, we launched the Jesus, the Game Changer series with the catchphrase, making Jesus' last words our first priority. And these aren't just the famous last words of a dead man. In fact, they're the famous last words of a man who was dead, but who is very much alive. Tonight, we're looking at how this good news spread through the ancient world, despite there being many who wanted, as we would say today, to stop the spread. And to be honest, I couldn't help but seeing the parallels between the growth of early Christianity and the current pandemic. If you were against Christianity in the first century, the last thing you would want is 120 Christians crammed into one house, as we read of in Acts 1.15. Even more, you'd wanna shut down the mass gathering that was happening nearby um, of thousands of people coming to the festival of weeks on the day of Pentecost. 
This is actually exponential growth waiting to happen. The R value is about to skyrocket. And we read in Acts 2 that in one day from 120 people, 3,000 people accepted the message of the good news and were baptised. But it's not just big gatherings that are the issue. As we heard in the video and as we find in Acts 8, another case of the spread of the good news is with Philip and the Ethiopian public servant, a court official to the Queen of Ethiopia. And as soon as we read in verse 31 that the official invited Philip to come up and sit with him, you should have 1.5 metre alarm bells ringing in your head already. And you should know what the result is gonna be. And of course, Philip and the Ethiopian public servant become a part of the spread of Christianity. We read in verse 38 that he went down into the water and Philip baptised him. Now, as the official returns home, Africa is about to record its first case of Christianity. So whether it's through big gatherings or just one-on-one, the message of the good news is taking hold of people's hearts. And tonight, rather than looking at the spread of Christianity on the macro level, I'd like to explore the indicators of what Christianity looks like on the individual level. What happens to the individual when they accept the good news? What changes happen within them that make this news the most contagious message on the planet? A message that is still impacting and transforming lives today. So let's dive into what is so transformative about this message. How does it work? What what are the progression of the indicators? Or what is the pattern of the Christian life? And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, there's no better place to start than the life and ministry of Jesus himself. So turn with me, if you've got a Bible handy, um, to Mark 1, 9 to 11, where we read of Jesus' baptism and the start of his ministry. This will come up on the screen as well, so you can read along from verse 9. At the time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Here we see that before Jesus begins his public ministry, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, first, he's baptised. Now look what what happens next. This This is important. Last week, Carl particularly highlighted that the book of Acts is not to be seen as the acts of the apostles, but rather it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. Here we see in Jesus' life that the seal of the Holy Spirit affirms his identity before he begins his public ministry. This was the same with Jesus' followers at Pentecost. First, 
the seal of their identity by the Holy Spirit, then the witness and the start of their ministry. And for Christians today, it's still the same pattern. Before we become witnesses of the good news, we need to know our new identity in Jesus, to have that identity affirmed within us by the Holy Spirit. This is a fundamental reality. First, we need this, an embracing of the new identity. Then we witness to the work Jesus has done and is continuing to do. One of the great heroes, in fact, of the spread of early Christianity is Paul. Uh, And he knew this pattern really well. So much time he spends um, dedicated to this very topic in his letters out to different churches, reminding Christians of their new identity. In fact, Paul's conversion experience is witness to his own transformed identity. Here's a quick clip on what Paul would have been like before his transformation as he tried to stop the spread of Christianity. Paul is a pretty hardcore guy and he's, he's actually acting as the representative of Jewish leaders who are trying to stop Christianity from getting off the ground. In Acts 9, we see Paul's encounter with Jesus. He's on um, his way to capture imprisoned Christians and all of a sudden a bright light knocks him clean off his horse and a voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And his response is, well, who are you, Lord? See, he acknowledges that it's Lord, it's God, but essentially what he's saying is, what do you, what do you mean? Who are you? I'm after those measly Christians, those pests, that scum of society. I wouldn't be persecuting you. You're way too bright, And the voice comes back saying, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now this knocks Paul again sideways. First, the person that he's assumed is dead, Jesus is speaking to him. So he's clearly not dead. And more than that, not only is he not dead, but he is Lord, he is God. Second, the Christians he thought were lying were actually telling the truth and he's been persecuting innocent people. And third, he realises that Jesus is identifying himself as the one who is being persecuted. When to him, it was just the Christians he was persecuting. It's like a, a bully in the schoolyard looking to steal a kid's lunch only to find out the principal has been standing behind him all along. Think about this. Paul has approved of Christians being murdered. He's been involved in their beating and imprisonment. And now he's met the ruler of the world. He's met the ruler of the Christians. What do you think 
a hardliner like Paul is expecting to happen here. Surely he thinks this is judgment day. It's the end of the line. But Jesus doesn't smoke him right there. And rather he sends him on to Damascus, still blinded by the bright light. And Paul, he doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't, he doesn't eat or drink for three days. And all we know is that he was praying hard. So before his conversion, Paul is essentially like every skeptic you know. Worse actually, because he's actively seeking to wipe Christians out. And he thinks he's doing the world a favour. Then all of a sudden he has this encounter and after three days he's baptised and then something is different. He can eat again, he's on fire, figuratively, not literally. Acts 9, 20 to 22 says this about Paul. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So we see Paul meets Jesus. He accepts the message. He's baptised. And then he's completely flipped Paul was a devout Jew, so you can imagine the crippling guilt that he would have felt knowing that he was devoting his life to something contrary to the very God he had claimed to be serving his whole life. But all of a sudden, the same Jesus who asked, why do you persecute me? Has now claimed Paul as one of his own. Paul's not an outsider anymore. He's not the one persecuting Jesus. In fact, he has a new identity in Jesus. Notice that here for Paul, the guilt is gone. He's completely new. And then he begins to follow through on Jesus' last words, to be a witness of Jesus. See, this new identity is foundational. It's what propels Paul into the ministry. So what is the content of this good news that is affecting Paul and that affects Christians today? What did Paul experience that radically changed him? What is this new identity that Paul is a witness to? And really, it's simply and profoundly this, that Jesus is both Lord and Saviour. Paul recognises from the get-go when he's encountered the bright light that the person speaking to him was the Lord. This is God. He realised that, master of everything. But he didn't equate that with Jesus. He asks, who are you, Lord? And when Jesus replies, he realises that Jesus is Lord. 
He finds himself, in fact, on the wrong side of the law, so to speak. All this time, he's been convincing himself that he's been doing the right thing, dedicating his life to a good cause. But when he finds out that Jesus is Lord, he realises that he's been living life backwards. And what he's been doing wasn't good at all. He realises, in fact, that he's guilty. By his own standards, he knows he deserves to be punished. And as the guilt begins to overwhelm him, as he begins to fear and tremble in this situation, all of a sudden, he experiences grace, forgiveness, and love. But how? Why doesn't he get what he deserves? Paul spends three days trying to figure out why he's not toast. He's not eating or drinking. He doesn't understand. And then he realises that somehow Jesus' death has made a way for him to be forgiven. Where he should be experiencing death, he experiences a loving saviour. See, the risen Jesus proves that he is Lord. The fact that he's risen proves that he is Lord. And it's as Lord that he died on the cross for humanity and became our saviour. Once Paul accepted this, that Jesus is both Lord and saviour of his life, he experienced God's intention for humanity a new identity as a child of God, adoption to sonship in Jesus. For Paul, this changes everything. And it's out of this new identity that he's compelled to witness to that new life, compelled to witness that this life is only possible because Jesus is Lord and Saviour. Paul actually explains this in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter five. He says this from verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. This isn't just a story. We've got to be very careful here not to think that this is just something that's relegated to the past, something that's hypothetical. This is a reality. The reality that the good news of Jesus is still alive and active in people today. The reality that this good news is available to all people. We've actually got 
Kirsty Williams, who's one of the interns here at church, um, here to share her story of how she's experienced this reality. I'd love to get her to come and bear witness to this story, her story of the impact that Jesus has had and is continuing to have in her life. So why don't we welcome Kirsty with um, virtual clapping. Well, you can actually really clap there where you are. Uh, maybe spam the like button on Facebook, but we'd really like to thank you, Kirsty, for coming along to share your story with us. So I wanna tell you a bit about my life. Um, my name is Kirsty. I'm 22 years old. I'm a mental health nurse. I was born in Brisbane and I've lived here my entire life. Um, growing up, I grew up in a family that didn't practice any faith. So I was familiar with this idea of God, but no one around me really talked about it. So I guess it didn't let it cross my mind. Um, from a young age, I struggled with feelings of insecurity and unworthiness. Um, as I went into my teenage years, this progressed into depression and anxiety. My entire sense of self was found in academic achievement. However, due to my mental health, for a year I barely even went to school. Without achievement validating my worth, um, I was completely lost. For I would barely get out of bed most days and um, I had no purpose. Also at this time, my father, who had long struggled with severe depression and addiction issues, was spending time in and out of rehab. Um, so to, to, to cope with this, the chaos of my family's life, in grade 11 and 12, I pushed myself back into schoolwork and this became my entire identity. The result of this though, was a mindset of endlessly comparing myself to others and a constant belief that I was never good enough. I could never live up to my own expectations. Little did I know at this point, the dark cloud of addiction weighing over my family would actually be the catalyst for me developing a relationship with God. So in 2015, it felt like mine and my family's lives had hit rock bottom. I hadn't gotten into the university course I wanted um, and I was nowhere near achieving the straight sevens I expected from myself. Also, every day I braced myself for the very real possibility that I was going to come home and find my father dead. Um, family life just wasn't good. We were all struggling and we couldn't rely on each other because um, we were just trying to survive ourselves. At this point, my father went to rehab again. However, this time something was different. He opened his life to Jesus Christ and he also found Bridgie. Over the next year, seeing the change in my father, um, how surrendering to God had healed on this pain, all this pain that he'd held onto for so many years was astounding. The same loving father that I had seen so broken and chained down by past trauma and addiction was now living a life that was full and free. All I could think was, I need to see what this is about. My journey to Christ though, was not as simple as I expected. I had assumed I would come to church and instantly feel God's love and live a life full of His blessings. What actually happened though, was the next few years were filled with periods of hope, periods of disappointment, um, lots of confusion and so many questions. Um, I guess I believed in God, so um, if I had nothing else on, I would come to church. Um, at church though, I could see the power that faith had in others' lives. So I guess I was living in a way that was trying to produce this faith, 
not realising at this point that it was my faith that should be changing the way I live. On January 6th, 2019, though, that all changed. Um, I, this was a Sunday where I made the decision to go to church. Um, and I know that decision was God-ordained because let me tell you, every word of that sermon was for me and relevant to my life. Matthew 6.33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I realised that I hadn't given God priority in my life. Um, and if I truly believe that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Saviour, shouldn't this be my heart, mind and soul's greatest desire to know him intimately? Um, so that night I went home and prayed as I surrendered everything in my life to God. From that moment, everything changed. Um, my heart went on a journey of revelation and restoration and I felt God's grace for the first time. Um, on, in March last year, I decided to get baptised and I declared my faith in Jesus publicly. And from then, I truly understood the weight of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I think the best way to describe um, this is actually with a quote from Timothy Keller. So in his book, Jesus the King, Keller writes, At the end of his great act of creation, the Lord said, It is finished, and he could rest. At the end, on the cross, at the end of his great act of redemption, Jesus said, It is finished, and we can rest. On the cross, Jesus was saying of the work underneath your work, the thing that makes you truly weary, this need to prove yourself because of who you are and what you do are not good enough, that it is finished. He has lived the life you should have lived. He has died the death you should have died. If you rely on Jesus's finished work, you know that God is satisfied with you and you can be satisfied with life. I no longer need to strive or prove myself worthy through achievement or Instagram followers or the number of people at my party. I don't need to be in control over every little thing. I don't need to compare myself to others because the perfect father has a plan for me that is far greater than anything I could imagine for myself. My identity is in Christ and I am worthy in him. I still have seasons of struggle and moments of insecurity, but now I know that I can lay these at the foot of the cross and even in the midst of pain, feel the supernatural joy and heavenly peace that comes in knowing him. So who am I? My name is Kirsty. I am loved, I am forgiven, and I am a child of God. Wow, praise God. And thank you, Kirsty, so much for taking the time to share with us tonight. God is good and he loves us. Jesus is alive, he is Lord and Saviour. This is what Kirsty is bearing witness to tonight. Paul is a witness to this as well. I am a witness to this. Many of you who are watching now are witnesses to this truth, the reality that he is still alive and working. And this has actually been the experience of billions of others throughout history and the world who testify, who bear witness to the risen Lord and Saviour, Jesus. We're witnesses by the fact that his life, death and resurrection have made it possible for us to be completely forgiven and transformed into a new people 
people with a new identity. And because we're transformed, our witness is more than just words. It's who we are. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5, from verse 18, he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is how Paul sees transformation happening when people accept and see the new identity that they already have in Christ. As they are affirmed as children of God by the Holy Spirit, they are compelled to move out into their everyday lives and bear witness to this reality in everything that they are. So in everything we do and say, we are bearing witness because we have this new identity. Paul says, it's as though God is making his appeal through us. In this week's Game Changer episode, uh, Mark Knoll summarises a thesis by leading sociologist Rodney Stark. And he says this, he says, early Christianity spread, yes, because the message was effective, yes, because the person of Jesus was attractive, but perhaps most because Christians were simply there. Not in a very well-organised or systematic way, Christians were simply there to do acts of kindness, humanity, outreach in situations where Roman culture didn't smile favourably on that kind of person-to-person, group-to-group outreach. See, as good as programs and ideologies are, this isn't a program or an ideology. This is individuals and entire communities being transformed to take on a new received identity. It's an identity that lives out God's love and good deeds from the foundation of a life-changing encounter with Jesus. So whether it's Paul in the first century putting his life on the line for the gospel, or countless others in the early church putting their lives at risk to love those in need who nobody else would touch. Or maybe it's this very week, people giving of their time, money and energy to help the homeless or pack hampers for international students. Or maybe fly halfway around the world to care for those in the epicentre of a pandemic as we saw this morning. All of it is done not because it's a good program, not because it's a good ideology, or not even because it's just the right thing to do. This is done because people have found a new identity in Jesus and have been compelled by his radical love. 
This is who we are as Christians, children of God, and that's what comes out in what we do. So let's continue to be witnesses in these spaces of need. Let's continue to love because we are loved. We're already doing it. It's who we are. Maybe you're a Christian here tonight and, well, not here, but there, um, and you're listening and you feel like you don't have a desire to be a witness. You don't, you don't have a sense of Jesus' love in such a measure that you feel compelled. Are there needs around you? Do you see people hurting? Are people searching for meaning? Do you feel compelled to move into those spaces to be a witness? Maybe you're thinking, if I'm honest, I don't feel that drive, that compulsion that Paul is talking about here. Do you know your identity in Christ tonight? Your identity in Jesus? If this is you, then it's time to press back into that identity, to rediscover what it means for Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour. It's not what we do that defines us. We're not struggling for acceptance. We're not struggling for identity. We're not trying to live up to any expectation. We are already defined as God's children in Jesus. Peter actually tells us in 2 Peter 1 that we can fall into a state of being ineffective or unproductive. And he says it's what happens when we've forgotten that we have been cleansed from our past sins. We've forgotten Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We've forgotten his love demonstrated on the cross. And consequently, we've lost sight of who we are. If that's you here tonight, this is a chance to revisit your identity, who Jesus is, who you are in him. Ask now for the Holy Spirit to renew that reality for you. Maybe you're tuning in tonight and you don't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you have in the past, but you've never, you can't say that you've ever experienced this love, this forgiveness, the acceptance, the new identity that we've been talking about here tonight. Then this is an opportunity to open up to Jesus right now. Let him know that you realise the way that you've been living is wrong, that you're done trying to live life your own way, that it's not working. Thank him for making a way to be forgiven, for making a way to experience his love through his death on the cross. Let him know that you accept his forgiveness that you accept him as Lord and Saviour. Now ask him for the gift 
of his Holy Spirit, which he promises to give his children. Thank him for the new identity that you have in him. If that's you tonight and you'd like to know more and explore this more, you can hit the respond to Jesus button or uh, the, the link that comes up in the chat there on Facebook. But feel free, we'd love to share with you and walk with you on this journey of exploring who Jesus is and what he's done. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us. Not only do you love us from a distance, but you made a way, you came into our situation, you came to earth and you demonstrated that love by freeing us from all of our sin, from freeing us from the destination that we were headed, from freeing us from death. And you did that by taking that on yourself on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you're not dead, but you are alive, that you rose again. You proved to be Lord and you proved that your saving work was effective. And today we live in that. Thank you, God, for the way that you're transforming people's lives, that you're transforming entire communities into people who are so radically affected by your love that we have this new identity that walks out into the spaces of this world that are in need and bears witness to the love that you have for us. And so Lord, we come to you now and we thank you for who you are. And we ask that you fill us afresh by your Holy Spirit and lead us, continue to lead us as your people into these spaces, these spaces of need. And God, for those who are searching and for those who don't know you, come now and reveal yourself to them by your Holy Spirit. Reveal the love that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue worshipping our great God together. Well, Father, we just thank You so much for Your Word. And I just pray that might be an encouragement to many people tonight. Um, we thank You, God, uh, and we pray these things in Your Name. Amen. Well, I just want to say again, it's been so good to have you here as part of the service. If you are impacted in any way, feel free to click on the link, whatever platform you're on, uh, to find out more or to follow Jesus. You can, you can jump on that link. Otherwise, you can email us at hello at bridgman.org.au and we'd love to send you out some more information. It's been so good to have you here. Feel free to jump online next Sunday and we'll see you soon. Thanks heaps. Thanks for joining with us for our service today. If you sense God speaking to you or you'd like to find out more, we want to help and encourage you on your journey of faith. You can reach out to us via our website or email hello at bridgman.org.au. And don't forget, if you have a prayer need, we'd love to pray for you. And you can fill in a prayer card on our website or email prayer at bridgman.org.au. I'm praying God's blessing for you this week and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.